Hey everyone, Angela Talent here, host of the Relatively Damaged Podcast, and something you didn't know, I'm a poet. I'm the author of Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. As you may know, Cicero once said, a room without books is like a body without a soul. Well, I say a soul without poetry hasn't lived. Buy my book on Amazon, Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. Thanks so much, and leave a review. Welcome back to the Relatively Damaged Podcast by Damaged Parents, where addicted to food, worthy, joyful people come to learn maybe, just maybe, we're all a little bit damaged. Someone once told me it's safe to assume 50% of the people I meet are struggling and feel wounded in some way. I would venture to say it's closer to 100%. Every one of us is either currently struggling or has struggled with something that made us feel less than. Like we aren't good enough. We aren't capable. We are relatively damaged, and that's what we're here to talk about. In my ongoing investigation of the damaged self, I want to better understand how others view their own challenges. Maybe it's not so much about the damage. Maybe it's about our perception and how we deal with it. There is a deep commitment to becoming who we are meant to be. How do you do that? How do you find balance after a damaging experience? My hero is the damaged person, the one who faces seemingly insurmountable odds to come out on the other side whole. Those who stare directly into the face of adversity with unyielding persistence to discover their purpose. These are the people who inspire me to be more fully me. Not in spite of my trials, but because of them. Let's hear from another hero. Today's topic includes sensitive material which may not be appropriate for children. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as advice. The opinions expressed here were strictly those of the person who gave them. Today we're going to talk with Michelle Pettis. She has many roles in her life. She's an adopted daughter, aunt, sister, and more. We'll talk about how she was addicted to food and how she found health and healing. Let's talk. Hey everyone, Angela Talent here, host of the Relatively Damaged Podcast. And something you didn't know, I'm a poet. I'm the author of Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. As you may know, Cicero once said, a room without books is like a body without a soul. Well, I say a soul without poetry hasn't lived. Buy my book on Amazon, Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. Thanks so much and leave a review. Welcome back to Relatively Damaged by Damaged Parents. Today, we have Michelle Pettis with us. She is an author, speaker, recovering food addict, her debut book was Leaving Large, The Stories of a Food Addict Chronicles a Lifetime of Eating for the Wrong Reasons. She has gained and lost 700 pounds. Michelle discovered the secret to ending the battle between her mind, body, and hunger by unlocking her unique food stories. Michelle debunked her misconceptions and misconnections about the purpose of eating. She now teaches others how to find their food truths. Michelle, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here. Thank you, Angela, for having me. You're welcome. Okay, I want to understand, what do you mean by food truths? 
Oh, man, yes. All right, first, before I talk to you about food truth, I do want to say it was 700 pounds over a course of a lifetime. I never weighed 700 pounds, but the process of gaining and losing, yo-yo dieting, 50 pounds, 60 pounds, gain 50, lose 60, lose 60, gain that cumulative 700 plus pounds, really. But I just wanted to be clear, um, clear with that. Thank you. So food truth is eating for the right reasons. And I work with so many people that say to me, I'm an emotional eater, right? And the reality is we are all emotional eaters. We are all, the problem becomes we are emotional overeaters. That's the first problem. And the second problem is for we can't separate what we feel about a food and what the food really is. And that's what I mean by food truth. And I'll give you a prime example. You just happened today. You and I were talking prior to the beginning of this uh, podcast. And I said, oh, my, I've been having computer problems. I've been having computer issues. And as I sat here going from one laptop to another, I felt something in my stomach that said, I want to eat something. Really? Right then? Right then. I felt it. But I knew I wasn't hungry because I ate breakfast before I came in. But I wanted to eat something. And what it was is I was frustrated and angry about and stressed about what was going on with being able to complete my work, get my get on this laptop, talk to you in a little while. All this stuff was going on. And that stress, that frustration that I felt showed up in my stomach is this thing, because that's what it does. This is a thing. But if I wasn't really conscious about why I eat which I, I used to not be conscious of it, I would have gotten something to eat because I would have thought that that was hunger rather than frustration. So when I say I teach people to recognize their food truth is to understand, and I know this, right? Because I'm a recovering food addict. The way you learn how to do something, in my estimation, is to do it wrong for a very long time. Right? Isn't so, that the truth? <laughs> for 43 years, I ate for reasons that didn't have anything to do with hunger. I couldn't even recognize real hunger. And so now I really learned the secret to recognizing what true hunger is. And that's what I mean by the food truth. If I had eaten something when I was feeling frustration over this, what was happening with my laptop, that wouldn't have been a food truth because I would have eaten some chocolate, some chips, some something, and I would have come back to the same frustration. My laptop still wouldn't have been working. And I would have eaten something that wasn't really going to serve my body in the way that it needed to be served. Is it almost like you've had to learn to listen to, or just recognize that that feeling might not be hunger? That's exactly right. You have learned to listen. But see, the thing is, is that we don't even always know what we're hearing. Right. So in the old days, you know, I would get the diet books. Right. And the, and the books would say, well, stop eating. Stop. Don't eat when you're not hungry. Stop eating when you're not hungry. But if you don't if you don't know the difference between, between hunger and thirst, you may still eat. If you don't know the difference between hunger and exhaustion, because I mean, in the old days, I would say something like, oh, my God, I have worked so hard all day. That I'm going to go home. I'm going to get something to eat and I'm going to go to bed. Right? right. If I'm tired, why am I eating? And I'm and going to bed. If I'm tired, I should just go to bed. Yeah. So is that because something you said earlier was that we're all emotional eaters. Yes. So as you're telling your story, I'm trying to go, okay, what does that mean? And the example you just gave 
is a little bit about, okay, so if somebody is coming home from, from work and they're doing exactly what you just said, that might be a sign that they're emotionally eating instead of just eating because they didn't eat dinner. Or, or it could be both, maybe. I don't know. So how would you know? Here's the thing when I say that we're all emotional eaters. And the problem is when we emotionally overeat. If we don't, we have to eat to live, right? I mean, e- eating is about survival. What will happen if we don't eat? Then we don't survive. Right, right. If we don't survive, mean, means we die. If you don't eat, you'll die, right? And although we're all conscious of the fact that we will all die at some point, nobody's ready to do it right now, right? No, nobody, nobody's ready <laughs> to do it right now. We eat out of fear. That's the emotion. Fear is the emotion that drives everybody to eat at some point. If I don't eat, I'll get hungry. I won't get enough food. I won't get enough nourishment. I won't survive. I'll die. That's the underlying emotion for everyone to eat. So what you're saying is that the the reason we eat is because of this fear, not for a need. Am I, I don't think, I don't know if I'm understanding that correctly. Okay. So the reason to eat is for nourishment and nutrition so that we will survive and won't die. That's the purpose of eating. That's the purpose of hunger to signal you hunger. The purpose of hunger is to signal you that your body needs replenishing, that your body needs nutrition, that your body needs new energy now. So it's time to, right, satisfy hunger. So you will survive and thrive and won't die because otherwise you will die and nobody's ready to die right now. And this fear and fear is driving that. Here's the thing about emotional eating is that the emotion doesn't pop up and say, Hey, I'm doing it. You just feel it. And then you respond with it with food. Okay. So I feel an emotion, sadness, frustration, whatever it is. And instead of feeling or figuring out what else to do with it, instead I I would eat food. Yes, that, that's exactly. So I'll give you another prime example. And I live it in because I'm conscious of it because I used to not be conscious of it. I lost my credit card a while back. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. I don't even know where it was. I, I had it. I, where is it? I don't know where it is. I can find it. So I'm, I'm in my office. I'm out to my car. I'm in my office, out to my car. I go out to my car. And when I go out to my car, I'm like at my wit's end because I have been looking for it for a couple of hours. When I get out to my car, I look and I don't find it. As I am getting ready to close the door, I look on the back seat of the car and I see a package of chocolate caramels, of sugar-free caramels. And I feel this twinge in my stomach and I reach for the caramels. And as I'm reaching for the caramels, I say to myself, because I do this before I eat anything, am I hungry right now or am I something else? And I knew I wasn't hungry. I wasn't hungry when I walked out to the car to look for my car. But when I saw those caramels, I felt this twinge in my stomach. I thought it was hunger. What it was, it was frustration and anger and not being able to find my credit card. Because if I had walked out and found my credit card, I might have looked at those caramels and still had the same twinge because I was happy. You know, I'm going to celebrate because I found it. I don't know. But here's how you check yourself, right? Here, here's what I teach. And this is how we have to become conscious of what we eat. And part of this is just walking around and eating mindlessly because food is there, because we have this conditioned response, right? We see it, we eat it. The first question is, am I hungry or am I something else? So that breaks the pattern that makes you stop. And like you said earlier, listen to your body, listen, am I hungry or am I something else? And then you think, well, was I hungry? And when was the last time I eat? 
what just happened? Who just walked in the room? What did I just think about? What did I just see? Is something else driving the, driving the fact that I want to eat? Because just because you want to eat doesn't mean that you are hungry. Okay. So almost like needing to become curious about what is this feeling trying to tell me right now? Exactly. Exactly. What is this feeling telling me that I need to do? And it's not eat, but we're so used to doing it. That's the thing that we do. So it's, am I hungry or am I something else? Then the second question is, why this food now? Why this particular food now? And the third question is, if this food will not give me the body that I say that I want, why am I eating it? So part of the problem for me, and I feel like it's for so many people, it's just this mindless eating. It's this conditioned response. And once we break the pattern, once we just break the habit, if we just get conscious, then we can create a new behavior. But first we have to be conscious of what we're doing. A lot of that stuff stems from childhood. You know, I talk about in my book, a lot of the stories about how as a kid, I learned how to eat. It's not like I, I learned how to eat incorrectly, but I use food in ways to, to soothe different situations when you're a kid that you don't have any control over. So food is something pleasurable, something you can, you know, sugar, right? I mean, yep. so that, you know, it just becomes a habit that we start eating for pleasure and entertainment and as an activity instead of eating for what reasons that we really should eat, which is nourishment and nutrition. Yeah. And I think it would be easy to connect those two. If you think about in this world, what do we celebrate with food and, you know, something's wrong. Oh, let me go get you an ice cream or yes. little things like that, that then we tie it to the emotion instead of the other way around. Now, would you mind sharing, actually, I'm just going to shift gears real quick, sharing mm -hmm. a little bit about your childhood so that we can understand where some of this came from. Yeah, 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 sure. I want to say that I grew up in a dysfunctional house, but the truth is all households are dysfunctional to some degree. So that's like fear. That's like emotional overeating. Everybody eats emotionally. Well, everybody's got some sort of dysfunction in their household. So I'm not going to blame it on that. What I am going to say is that there are a couple of stories in the book that, that speak to my relationship with my mother. And I actually, my grandparents adopted me and I grew up with my grandparents in a very loving environment, but my mother wasn't able to raise me. And as I look back on my life and I think about myself as a kid, I always longed for that. I longed to be with her, but that really wasn't the reality of, of my situation. And that caused me to feel anxiety, which we didn't, we didn't call it that in the sixties. They didn't, you know, nobody knew that that's what it was, but I remember spending time with her. You know, I knew her, I would go visit her. She would come to visit and all that. And there's this one story I write about it's called Atkinson Adventure. And my mother was a seamstress and I am too. So my so was my grandmother. So this thing that we all share. But anyway, when she would come to visit my hometown, we would find some time where we would sneak off together and we would go to the fabric store. It was just me and my mom. So it was like our special, our little special time. And the story I write about is one time we did go to the fabric store. And when we were leaving the fabric store, we passed by a donut shop, a donut shop that she used to go to when she was a girl. And she was like, oh my goodness, let's go in here. Well, you know, I'm going to do whatever she wants to do. So, so we go to the, we go to the donut shop and we share this donut. I mean, she buys donuts for everybody else in the family. We have them the next day. But while we're in the car, it's just me and my mother eating this donut and talking about stuff. And in the story, I write about when she leaves with my brothers and my, and my sisters, I continue to go to that donut shop on the other side of town. Whenever I would have allowance, whenever I would have extra money, I would get on my back and I would go over there and I would just get 
as many donuts as I could and just eat them, just eat them. And that's something I continue to do as an adult until I figured it out that those donuts in that time, it might've been the beginning of my food, food addiction. I, I mean, my sugar addiction, you know, I don't know, but it, I didn't want the donuts. I didn't want the donuts. What I wanted to be was connected to my mother. And so the donuts were a representation of that. And so whenever you have these situations or whenever I had these situations, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a situation where something would happen and I would just consciously say, oh, I'm sad or I miss my mom. I wish I, I, wish I was with my mother or I'm in this stressful situation. I want to do that. I'm going to go have some donuts. That's not what happens. What happens is you just feel it. You just feel this thing that makes you want to eat it. You just, you just feel that. Right. Well, in that connection, it, it would seem to me just on some level, the only way to feel like you were connecting with mom, if she wasn't there was through that food. And then it became like an addiction. That's because that's the only way I knew how to do it because it wasn't the food that I wanted. It was the memory. It was the memory of that moment. It was the feeling from that moment. It wasn't, it wasn't the donut. And so once once we learn how to identify what memories we associate with certain foods, once we realize how to do that, which is what I teach you how to do, and then separate the food from the memory, and we're able to, we can still get the comfort that we need by going directly to the memory. We can go directly to the memory or in certain situations, you can go directly to the person, right? So back then, if I had known that that's what it was, my grandparents would have let me call my mother. They would have let me do that, right? I could have called her and had that moment, but I didn't know that that's what it was. And so that's how we all get so stuck when we talk about and why I just consciously do not say this. And I encourage other people not to say relationship with food because we don't have a relationship with food. We manage food. And when we start giving food the qualities of a relationship, right? When we start giving food as long as we give food relationship qualities, things that we should go to for people, we'll continue to go to food for when we're lonely or when we're bored or when we're sad or when we're angry. All that language reinforces it. So when we are lonely, angry, sad, bored, we need to go to people. We need to go to our friends. We need to go to our family for that kind of support, not food, because food will never give it to us. And that's where the addiction comes in, because we keep going to food thinking it has some superpower to solve an emotional situation, which it cannot ever do. Okay. What you said was not using the statement of relationship with food. And so I think what you're explaining when, when you say this is that when, let's say I said, I'm working on my relationship with food, then there's this tendency, maybe subconscious or unconscious to quite literally give food the power to have an impact on my emotions. I think that's yes. what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. That makes sense. I yes. could see that because does not have, yes, I might tie an emotion to it, but food itself is not my relationship. Exactly. Okay. The only, the only problem food will solve is hunger. But because we say and believe 
things like relationship with food. And we say, I'm a stress eater. We give power to the notion that food can do something other than what it can do. And we have to nip that in the bud. We have to get really clear. We have to get really clear because as long as we are not clear, Angela, about it, then we are going to be robbed. We're going to be robbed of our ability to have the kinds of authentic relationships with people that we're supposed to have. We're not going to go to people when we're supposed to go to people. We're not going to be vulnerable when we're supposed to be vulnerable. We're not going to get, we're not going to get our emotional needs met because we keep trying to get food to do it. Okay. What you just said resonated in me in that it reminds me of, oh, I don't know if it was the Gottmans, but relationship stuff, right? And One of the things that they talk about, you know, you have this relationship that has this little house. And at first, if you go outside the house, you basically create another door or window into the relationship. And now the relationship is not the relationship with that person. The relationship is three people because Mm -hmm. then there's this tendency to go to the other person. So we get like that triangulation. So I think what you're saying is food can also be that other place for some people. It can be that other place, but it will never give people what they need. But they keep trying to make it give them what they need. Right. Just like that third person Mm -hmm. can't really make the relationship between the two better, but they keep going there thinking that it might. Okay. Huh. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that as a way people would relate to food, but that's really interesting now that I'm starting to think about it. So this is, let me tell you, this is how this all came up for me. I I feel like this is the time to to tell it. As I started writing the book and I started trying to just get off this yo-yo, because I had tried so many times and I would always gain the weight back. And I just knew I was missing something. And as I was thinking, a story came up, a story came up for me that my uncle told me. This is my mother's brother, right? And so we were on his farm. I grew up in Texas in a small town on the farm, uh, small town in Texas. And we were on his farm. We were having a family cookout, barbecue, something like that. And we had watermelon. And I was like, Billy, hey, do you want some watermelon? He's like, no, I don't eat it. I don't eat watermelon. And he didn't even say, I don't want a watermelon. He didn't even say, I don't like it. He said, I don't eat it. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Everybody likes you. You don't want any right now. Why don't you like it? Why don't you want it? He was like, I just don't eat it. And I'm like, you you can't just say that to me. You have to give me a reason. And he went on to tell me. And so understand, Angela, at this point, my uncle was probably 75 years old. He might've been almost 80. And I said, well, you've got to, you've got to give me a reason. He went on to tell me that when he was a little kid, maybe five or six, he and some buddies stole a watermelon from a neighbor's garden. And my grandfather, his father found out about it. Now, my grandfather was a church trustee and and a railroad worker. And the one person that a five-year-old or six-year-old that just stole something, the one person they don't want to meet is that guy. And so my grandfather went on and gave him a beating, a very severe beating, and a beating so severe that now, 70 years later, he won't even eat that food. He never ate watermelon again because of that beating. My grandfather literally beat the taste out of his mouth. And so when my uncle told me the story, the importance of it didn't really settle on me. I mean, I heard it. I thought it was awful, but I didn't really make the connection. 
But as I was starting my final journey, this last leg of the journey for me, I said, oh my God, that is it. That is what yo-yo dieting, that's what my problem is, is that he would not eat that food because it was so painful, too painful for him. The memory was too painful that he would never eat it for 70 years. He died without ever eating again. That must be the same thing. That The flip is also true. That must be the same thing for people with foods and me, for the foods that you kids can't stop eating, that you just continue to eat meat because it is the memories that are associated with the food are so pleasurable, so wonderful. You keep re-wanting to relive the pleasure that you associate with that food. And that's the breakthrough is mm-hmm. to be able to separate the feeling that you associate with the food from the food itself and know that the food is not the feeling. That's the work. So the most important part is learning that the food is not the feeling. And then I would think there's another step in there and that's learning how to interpret and understand those feelings also. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. There, there are more steps for sure. You have to interpret yeah. and understand the feelings and then you have to learn to make the right substitutions. You, you know, I mean, cause if if you're still hungry, you still have to learn to write, make the smart choices, right? But understanding your food story, what it does, it breaks the pattern, right? It, uh. it gets you mindful. It gets you to a place of understanding. I mean, if I can just raise our collective consciousness about why we eat what we eat. What's amazing is, as I'm thinking about this, as we're chit-chatting, is we're not in a shortage of food, really. No, 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 there's not. And yet there's still the seems this maybe in some ways this desperation to have food. But in, and so the, the desperation, Angela, is not out of hunger. Is the desperation is not out of physical hunger. The desperation is out of getting our emotional needs met. Is that we think that food can solve some emotional need that it cannot solve. That's where the desperation is. That's right. what the desperation is. And you think about all the foods that exist, all the food that exists that has little to no nutritional value. Yeah. And there's tons of it. So the only purpose for that food is to provide pleasure. Mm. And people will say, oh, I want some junk food or I need, or I eat junk food. We don't accept junk in any other area of our life where people have no hesitation about eating junk food. And mm. that's a whole nother, other thing right there. But yeah. everything becomes about what does it taste like? And as soon as I stopped making my own decisions about what I was going to eat and stop thinking about what does it taste like, the taste mm-hmm. of the moment, and even understanding that we can enjoy foods in other some other way. You don't have to eat it, right? I mean, you don't. I mean, I, I <laughs> no. have friends. You're just reminding me, I used to joke with the kids if I wasn't hungry, but it smelled good, you know, and I would just take a big old whiff and I'd be like, Oh, that sure tasted good. And they would chuckle and laugh at me. (laughs) And I'd be like, but then I was fine after that. (laughs) That was real. But that's real. I mean, that's the thing. Just because it's people. I have friends. I have plenty of friends. Even though I drink coffee now, they love the smell of coffee, but they don't like the taste of it. They don't. So just because it smells good or it's there, it doesn't mean you have to eat it. You can just smell it and still get some satisfaction and get some joy from the aroma. Right. There's nothing more beautiful. I mean, there are other things that are more beautiful, but I love a beautiful case of gelato. All of the colors, it all looks so beautiful and pretty, all the colors, right? I love I love looking at gelato. I'm not going to eat it, but I like looking at it. It is beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. So, th- so that's not the only way to enjoy it. I mean, I don't eat bacon. 
but I like the sound. I like the sound that it makes when you, when it's in the skillet kind of crackling up, right? Mm -hmm. So there are many different ways to enjoy food if we would allow ourselves to enjoy it in in that manner. Yeah. I'd love that. I'd love that I said that because I hadn't thought about looking at it and listening to it and really using those other senses. If I'm not hungry, oh, you know what? I still can fill myself by looking and appreciating and loving what's there. Yes. Yes. We have five. We have at least four other senses, maybe five. If you talk about intuition other than taste, we have five other senses with which we can enjoy the world, but we just go immediately to this taste thing, right? So if you're stressed, go out and smell some flowers, Mm. get some joy from that, right? Mm -hmm. If you live near the water, go out and walk on the sand, get some joy from feeling that it doesn't have to be, I got to go, you know, something. But we have to teach ourselves that. We have to learn that we're responding in, in ways that aren't really serving our bodies and the, our best health, our best mental and physical health. Right, right. And I would think some of that comes from learning to love those icky feelings in some ways. Yes. I'm so glad you said that. Oh, and, go oh, for I'm, it. I'm, I'm, no, I'm so glad you, you said go that. Take it over. Because here's, here's the thing. We have this notion that we aren't supposed to feel discomfort, that we aren't supposed to feel pain. And so we use food to mask that, to mask the stress, mask the pain, mask the discomfort, to cover it up, right? To avoid it, to delay it, because we don't want to feel it. And here's the thing, is if we will allow ourselves to step into whatever discomfort or pain that's going on, that's where the answers are. The answers are in the pain. The answer, in fact, I believe on many levels that our greatest gifts, our greatest joy is in dealing with the pain that we have in our life. But mm-hmm. if we mask it and we uncover it and, and never deal with it, we never get to the thing that might completely change our lives because we're using food to separate us from it. Yeah, because we're unwilling to maybe check in with those feelings. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Or sit in them. And I don't mean, when I say sit in them, I don't mean sit in them like depression and despondency. When I say sit, I'm thinking processing and understanding. Yes. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you got to sit with it. Yeah. Sit with it. Yeah. Those icky feelings, man, I was listening to Will Smith being interviewed and I love this. And I I feel like I'm going to write about it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to do something with it. He said something I'm going to paraphrase that problems are the way that God, te- that's how we learn. That's God sends us problems so that we can learn. Well, if we are using food in a, as an avoidance, as a masking, as something to cover up those problems, then we never get the lessons that are intended for us. We don't yeah. get them. So we got to lean into the problems. We got to lean into the learning. We got to lean into the pain. We got to lean into the discomfort because it is in those answers. It is in those answers that we do find some freedom. Yeah. I 100% am on track with that. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I'm so, I'm glad you brought that up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's something I think we, that we forget. I don't know, as a society, I think we forget to, talk about it because growing up, I I think like those feelings are wrong. Think of a two-year-old having a temper tantrum in a store. There's usually not a validation. There's like a shame that happens in the mom and Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, 
I'm not doing my job right. Mm. Who are all these people? They're going to judge me. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, right. so then what are we teaching the child is that that emotion isn't valuable. You if know, anything, it's a, an expense. <laughs> when you talk about that, here's an example that comes to mind when you say that. I was in an airport not too long ago, and, and it was, this was pre-COVID, right? This was pre-COVID, and it was a mother that was going through the airport with her child in a stroller and the kid was fretting and I don't have children. So I can't really speak on what parents are supposed to do or what parents aren't supposed to do. I'm just going to tell you what I I think even when you have kids, I'm not certain that I could, I have kids and I don't know that I could speak to that either. (laughs) (laughs) So, so the child was fretting and the mother had, she stopped in the airport. She had some sort of food. She had, I don't know if it was something sweet or some crackers or some cookies or something, but she had it in her baggie. And she, when the child started to fret, she got to it really quickly and gave it to the child. And the child child stopped fretting and started focusing on, I'm going to say it was an Oreo, just for the Mm -hmm. sake of this story. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, I wonder what was really going on there. Was that child really hungry or was the child just anxious and nervous and upset because they're in this airport? It's crowded. It's a lot of people. The child is feeling the frustration of the mother trying to get to the flight on time. And the child is feeling that. And what would have happened if the mother had just taken five seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds and stopped the stroller and picked up the kid and kind of comforted them and said, I know you're upset, but mommy's okay. We're okay. We're headed to the airplane. It's going to be all right in a second. Put the kid back in the stroller. Yeah. And maybe the child really was hungry. But all I'm saying is the notion that food is the answer to situations, to certain situations comes to us early on. Yeah. So if they spend a lot of time in the airport and that kid gets anxious in the airport a lot, and that's the response that child very quickly learns that when I am frustrated and anxious, what I need is what my mother just gave me, an Oreo cookie. That that solves the problem. And what the child really wants and needs is for mama to stop and comfort me and be okay. And so that's how how the misconnections, that's how the misconnections happen. I remember being a kid and and scraping my knee or whatever and and running in and being upset because I see a little blood or something. And my grandmother would say something like, oh, sweetie, come here, let me kiss it and make it better. And she would kiss it and make it better. And I run back out. Right. She didn't say, well, come in, let, let grandma make you some ice cream. Yeah. But but if that just goes to show you, you never really know where that connection is going to be made. And while it might not be tied to physical pain, it's tied to emotional pain. And yes. for some other people, maybe it is tied to physical pain. So I think as parents and grandparents and great grandparents in this world, we never know, but our, the best thing to do is check that emotion first, it sounds like. Yes, yes, absolutely. And yeah. not connect it. So if someone is dealing, they're recognizing they've got a problem, they're going, oh my gosh, they listen to this podcast, you know, maybe I am an emotional eater. What would be the top three tools and tips you would give them or say, do this or try this? My top three tools and tips are those questions. And the questions are the questions that break the pattern. And part of it is what you just said is sitting and processing with emotion. I'm going to go through this, but the situation really becomes, am I, I am not recognizing, I am not hungry. What I am is sad. Instead of eat, I will. I mean, that's the statement to recognize the thing that you are, that it's not hungry 
and then have a replacement, a replacement for food, right? I am not hungry. What I am is angry. Instead of eat, I will. What I am is I am bored. I am not hungry. I am bored. Instead of eat, I will. Feel is to fill in those blanks and have an appropriate response for the thing that you're feeling because hunger is just one is just one thing in this world that we feel. It's one thing. In, there are at least 52 other emotions that are out there. At least 52, right? Right, right. And so when I when I look at when I look at old pictures of myself, when I see somebody now that's obese, what I know, I know that they have some stuff that's going on in their world that they have not figured out the tools in which to manage that stuff. That's that's all it is. We haven't haven't they haven't figured out the correct way to manage all this other stuff that's going on in the world, other than food. They think food is the answer and food is not. Well. I am so grateful to have had you on the show, Michelle. This has been a fantastic conversation. I love it. It's been my pleasure for sure. For sure. And then they can look you up on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And do they just look up your name, Michelle Pettis? Yeah. If you look up Michelle Pettis, Michelle, P-E-T-T-I-E-S, everything will come up, right? Uh, My book will come up. The book is Leaving Large. L-E-A-V-I-N-G, Leaving Large, The Stories of a Food Addict. If you're listening to this podcast, you can download a free chapter. You can go to my website and download a free chapter. You can go to the website and buy a copy if you want. It's also available on Amazon. You can order it from Amazon. There's many different ways to reach us. You can get the book itself that way. But if you want to reach me, you can reach me on Instagram, on YouTube, Facebook at I Am Brand New Now. And uh, you can connect with me. I would love that. I would love to continue the conversation with anybody who wants to have it. That's awesome. Thank you, Michelle Pettis at I Am Brand New. And everywhere on social media, check her out. She's amazing. And you spell her her last name P-E-T-T-I-E-S. Thank you again so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Hey everyone, Angela Talent here, host of the Relatively Damaged Podcast, and something you didn't know, I'm a poet. I'm the author of Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. As you may know, Cicero once said, a room without books is like a body without a soul. Well, I say a soul without poetry hasn't lived. Buy my book on Amazon, Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. Thanks so much, and leave a review. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Relatively Damaged by Damaged Parents. We really enjoyed talking to Michelle about how she gained and lost over 700 pounds over her life. We especially liked when she spoke about getting donuts with her mom. To unite with other damaged people, connect with us on Instagram. Look for Damaged Parents. We'll be here next week, still relatively damaged. See you then.